Yay, Mallory! So much fun to sing that with Mallory. Oh my gosh. It's my Christmas present to myself. And Mitch is so cool. He's got a strap on that matches his shirt today. I thought, wow, look at that guy. Isn't he stylish today? So we don't have any childcare today, so I assured uh, these young folks up here today I would make it as entertaining as possible. So I may come over and ask you questions as we go along just to make sure we're tracking well. I won't do that. Maybe. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm Reverend Patrick Cameron. I'm the spiritual director here. And uh, so we're, this is our last Sunday of 2017. So I say we make it the best. Huh? Awesome. Thanks for weathering the weather. We've been here since four this morning with our, and it was great, but it was very cold getting up. It was the last thing that sane people want to do when it's minus whatever it was out there. But I have words that I could use to describe it, but they wouldn't be appropriate from this platform. So uh, I would just say it was very, very chilly. And we had about 15 people for our world peace meditation, so I was quite impressed because, uh, you know, sometimes we've had up to 40, 50 people, but with the weather, and, you know, cars need to start too, and people, all that stuff, so we know that. So thank you for weathering the, the, uh, the elements to be here today. So what uh, I'm going to invite you to do in this moment is just to kind of settle in. So it's really around the whole, th- this whole idea around spirituality, Center for Spiritual Living, is that it has to be something that is meaningful that we connect with. And so whatever your tradition, that's why we say we honor all traditions, because some people get there by lighting a candle, and some people get there by walking in nature, and some people, and by get there I mean it is the healing the sense of separation. And I think all of us have had that, that are sitting here today. There's something that we know that is beyond who and what we are in this physical form that we are connected to and that is nurturing and that will offer guidance and wisdom and and the opportunity to be delighted at times and sometimes we're we we make choices that move us into struggle and so I want to talk a bit about that today because we want to honor all of life so with that said I want to invite you to just drop into some silence for 30 seconds I will keep track of that you don't need to and then we will do a, um, uh, I'll do a chant in this very room. If you'd like to sing along, please feel free. If you don't know the song, just let it be a soundtrack of what we're moving into. And then I'll offer an affirmative prayer, which is a, a form of prayer that we uh, hold as very sacred and precious to us in the way that we um, enter into that relationship. Nothing unique or mysterious about it. It is just something that becomes very personal for us. And so let's begin with our silence. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. 
for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very So I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment, and if they don't fit for you, just let them wash over you. But this is what I affirm and know, that there is one life, there's one source of life, there is one unified field that animates all of life, that we would not exist without that gift of life. And so I affirm and know in this moment, in the, the wisdom the ancient wisdom teaching that that life is truly what I am, speaking in the I am for each person here. It is my life. And so I, I, I dive into that in this moment. I put down my busy mind. I, put, I know I am not my body. I know I am not my emotions. Those are all important things that have guided me to this point in time. But the truth of who and what I am is eternal. That as above, so below. That there is a divine presence of unconditional love, creativity, grace. And let us stand together in the awareness right here and right now. Let us feel our way into it. Let us know that with each moment we spend together in support of this idea and in support of this experience, it becomes more and more a deep way of knowing for each and every one of us. To stand in that faith, to stand in that conviction. The Christians would say it is the personification of the Christ within us. The Buddhist would say it is the Buddha nature. Every tradition has their language for it. And this is what we celebrate. So as we leave and celebrate the good and the challenges that we've experienced in 2017, we realize that all of it, every bit of it in some capacity, has been an expression of source to push us and guide us and nudge us toward a, toward a greater awakening and understanding of awareness. So I give thanks this day knowing that we are guided and directed, resourced in every good way, that there's something alive and dynamic and all that is required for us to partner with that is to welcome it, to welcome it and choose wisely, to put down things that no longer serve us, which is called forgiveness, to give it up. So I give thanks this day. I give thanks to sit with millions of people at 5 a.m. this morning together energetically supporting world peace. And so I just give thanks for all the gifts that have allowed us to come together this day and to know that something beautiful is finding its way to us because this is the idea that we continue to nurture and welcome and develop. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Good so far? Yes. Good. Just checking. We don't have child care today, as I mentioned, so if, you're, if, you're, if you brought a child with you and sent them down to child care, they're down there alone right now? Just, a, <laughs> just saying. All right. We used to have a kid that would always run out, and, and the doors would be open in the summertime, and I'd see them. He'd come up the stairs and fly out the door, and then I'd see him go across, going down the street, and then the people would fly after him. And it was a little distracting when I was trying to do a talk, but uh, we're hoping he doesn't get run over by a something. But uh, that's life, and everything worked out. No, one, no children were lost in that experience. 
All right, so what I wanted to do is, is because we have this extra Sunday, and you know, it's always interesting, like we've talked, and, and my wife Laura and I do a lot of the program planning here, along with Sue Edwards and Steve Sandy, has been very involved, and so we, we always forget, it's six, six years since we had a, a, a new, new Year's Day uh, Sunday, New Year's Eve Day Sunday, and the same with Christmas. And you always forget how you, you operated, so we're doing better. So if I'm here in another six years, I'll know how we, we adjust and adapt because it's 5 a.m. is a bit out of the, you know, it's not a burden, but it does make things different. And uh, by the way, we ran out of coffee already, so uh, we're letting you know that you might be up for tea when you go back there, but we're doing our best. So planning each year and each, each season is always different, and it's, it's, it's perfect that way. But I wanted to, to end the year talking about the mythic Christmas. I know Christmas, we've got a whole other year to go, but there's so many wonderful uh, examples in this idea of the mythic Christmas that I wanted to flesh out with you. So as the slide behind me shows, it's why do we have a feast of Christmas? What's all this about? And why is it on the 25th? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, I just, for me, I always want to know how things end up, how they end up. Was Jesus really born in Bethlehem on the 25th of December? No. But what we do is we celebrate this. And so myth does not mean not true. A lot of times you'll hear people say, like, that's a myth. Yeah, it doesn't mean not true. What it means is a a story so true that it can only be told in metaphor. And so what I want to talk about is some of the traditions that got adapted that created the metaphors that make Christmas sacred and meaningful. And surprisingly enough, a lot of the things as I did the research for this discussion are remarkably simple and yet so inspiring because they connect so beautifully with what our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, said. He said, we are Christian and more. And for us in the metaphysical tradition, it is the personification of the Christ. That Christ means the presence of God individualized is what the Christ means at that, in that term of definition and metaphor. Joseph Campbell, the great uh, cultural anthropologist who did the, a series of talks with Bill Moyers, Joseph Campbell said, a, a myth is a story so true that it makes you groan. G-R-O-A-N, not G-R-O-W-N. It doesn't make you groan. It can help make you groan, but it, it can make you groan, groan because it is so obvious and so beautiful. So this idea of winter solstice, we saw, you know, as a kid, we never connected them. I was raised in a tradition where you never considered winter solstice and Christmas as having anything to do with just like they happen to land in the same arena. So the Christmas story, for the first four or 500 years of Christianity, the thing that powered Christianity was Easter. Easter's story was based on some history. It was based on the, the, the Passover and the, the Jewish rituals of Jesus coming in, riding into Jerusalem on the, the donkey and all these sort of Palm Sunday. All that stuff was wrapped around the Jewish tradition. And so this worked for the Christians for about the first four or 500 years because as long as you're in the Mediterranean area, you use the Jewish calendar, and the Jewish calendar is based on the, sun cy- or the moon cycles. So it's a moon cycle calendar. In fact, uh, Julius Caesar in about 50 BCE, which is before the Common Era, which is kind of marked with the birth of Jesus. So about 50 years before Jesus, he came up with this calendar, and it only had 362 days in it. But the problem was, after 500 years... Uh, December was showing up in July because every year you'd have three extra days and it just kept adding up and adding up and adding up. So they didn't know what to do. So Pope Gregory came along. You remember Pope Gregory? He was the guy that came up with the Gregorian chant. Go figure. How did they know to name that after Gregory? So he was was probably in the top 40 of his day in terms of music. He was musical. 
I'm assuming. You know, I mean, that's pretty revolutionary, isn't it? Gregorian chant. You guys got to have something going on to get the chat named after him. But he came up with a new calendar. And so what he did is he reset everything. And he said, okay, it's going to work out better if we have 365 days. And we're going to put one extra day in there every four years. We'll call that leap year. And that helped bring the seasons and the way they counted days into a rhythm that was accurate, pretty much. So what happened with this is that this was all, it was all working really good. And then they moved out of the Mediterranean area around 1500, uh, 1,500 years ago. And what they did is they moved north of the Alps. And north of the Alps, anyone that lived there were called the Celts. Now, I always thought the Celts were uh, in Ireland just because they got the, you know, the, the basketball team, the Boston Celtics, they call them. I mean, really. I mean, that's how I... It's like, ah, yeah, you're a Celt. You're from Ireland. No. Anything above the Alps was considered a Celt. So France, Turkey, from Ireland to Turkey, everything up there is Celts. And so when they started evangelizing, they said, let's go convert all these people to this great tradition, this Christian tradition, about 500 years in, they got up there. And these people didn't worship Easter. They had no concept of Easter. Easter didn't mean anything to them. Do you know that when you live in a cold climate, because it's colder up there, north of the Alps, do you know what's the most important thing to you? It's the sun. Go figure. On a day like today. But the sun. And so what they worshipped was the winter solstice. And these folks, they didn't have the science. They didn't have the calendars. They didn't have the research. So what they, they believed in their heart of hearts was that the way that the sun was reborn each year was through spiritual practice, through sacrifice. And so they had a, a variety of sacrifices they used. So they're, they're about their business up there. And, and, the, and the, you know, the monks and the priests are going up there to convert them and, and, and show them the, the right way to do this. And the Celts are looking at them and going, we don't know nothing about Jesus. That has no meaning for me. And, and so the, the, the insightful teachers from the Christian tradition, this is Christianity at its best, by the way. They've done a lot of things that I think we could point fingers at, but this is them at their best. So what they said to these guys is, tell us your story. How do you do this? And they said, well, winter solstice is our day because that's when, and what happens is to the naked eye on the 21st, the 21st of December, it looks to the naked eye as if the sun has stopped. And it looks like it has stopped for three days before it starts moving again. Isn't that quite fascinating the way nature works? So they went up there and they said, oh, you understand, the Christians went up to convert and said, you understand the story of Jesus? And they said, how? They said, because you understand nature. So you worship the sun, and, I'm, and we're here to tell you that there's another sun that when it is birthed, gives radiance to all of life. This is exactly what Dr. Ernest Holmes was talking about, all the great spiritual teachers were talking about, this personification of the Christ, the, the birthing of the Christ within us. And so they were the so what they did is they added another layer, another depth to what the because they called them heathens. Well, they called them heathens is what they would say because they because they were heathens. They weren't just heathens; they were heathens and pagans. All right. So anyway, just get that straight. But they had a little bit of charge on that, right? And they had to get that out of them. But what they did, all most of the Christian rituals and traditions come are are are, are adapted from what the pagan and the, the heathen rituals had. And so in this rebirthing, what they're doing is they're connecting the, the radiance and everything in the cosmos to the, everything that is happening in nature. 
And the point being, so what they said to these people is, this is to know that at the darkest part, so we're in the darkest part of the year right now, and so, but, but spiritually, in the darkest part of pain and of suffering, of despair, what we want is an end to the suffering. We all want the sun to shine. So they took it to a deeper level. So the, the, the connection to what is happening in the cosmos and what is happening in nature was emphasized. So there was no conflict. There was no disagreement. It was just, yeah, yeah, you guys got that idea, but let me tell you, it's a bigger idea. So, you know, it, it, what's happened with part of our, our culture, our modern culture, Joni Mitchell wrote it so well, and, and when she wrote, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. We've paved over so much of nature. And so, you know, when we connect with nature, that's the presence of the divine. Candace, Candace Pert, who wrote in uh, The Anatomy of Molecules, said that every day we need to go out in nature and connect because it's real. It's real. We've got to connect with something that's real, and nature's real. So we've known this forever, but the more we pave it over, it removes us another step. So the Christian holidays, as I said, are mimicking the heathen pagan holidays. And so the, 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 the Celts knew about solstice, and then the Christians came along and added a depth to it, which is fascinating. So we talked about the calendar and Pope Gregory, and what they had to decide then, once they got things straightened out, they had a three-day three gap. Because the solstice was still on the 21st, but once they got the calendar all together, they had 25th was the birth of Jesus. And so there are tomes, as I was doing research for this, books after book after book in the Vatican Library. Wouldn't you love to go visit the Vatican Library? I'd love to go there. I don't think they'll let me in, but maybe next lifetime I'll go. Anyway, in that, there's tomes of discussion about what should we do. Should we move it to the 21st? So it lines right up. And as they're going along, all of a sudden, one of the monks one day, it was a Wednesday, I think it was uh, Herbert, said, this is three days, this is perfect. Because as Christians, three days, huh? What happened in three days? You kids know? Did your mom tell you? No. Three days. Jesus was in the tomb for three days and was reborn. They said, this is better than putting it on the same day. We're going to leave it three days apart. I don't know if it was Herbert, and I don't know if it was a Tuesday, but it sure makes the story more interesting and personal, doesn't it? So, the method to the, to the, the wisdom there is to connect it to their rituals and to connect it to the rest of the stories of the birth and death of the, the man known, the teacher known, the icon known as Jesus of Nazareth. So the Gospels and nature are connected and, the, and there's a lot of Gospels. As I was doing research, I found a ton of stuff I can't share with you today, but we'll do that next year. The core message in Christianity when applied to this narrative is despite the challenges that might be happening personally, professionally, or in family or community, that when we go to the deepest dark, that is, that is where we find fresh radiance. When we go to the deepest dark, the radiance comes from our courage to walk towards the things that scare us. See, there's nothing to fear. I mean, this journey of faith is when there's nothing to fear. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later, but, there's, but we think there is. Will there be enough? Will I have enough money? Will I have enough love? Will I have a, a warm place to live? And all those things are concerns. They're legitimate. But at the end of the day, when we stand grounded in the truth of our being and understand who we are, there's not that trigger. There's not that charge on it. It's still a concern. 
But we understand, because one of the reasons we go into fear is we just feel we're so alone. And we're never alone. We, come, we are eternal. We come from the same source of life. There's one life. That life is God. That life is my life now. That's the first part of our prayer because for us it is so important to remember and to heal any sense of separation. It's simple but so, so, so challenging at times. This was the early Christian message. It is to give birth to the Christ within you which is the same message that Dr. Holmes was talking about. So that you and I become the light of the world. I just finished an article for Science of Mind magazine and in it I, I used the phrase love your enemies. Love your enemies is so hard. But it's, it's easier to love an enemy out there than it's to love the enemies in here. Because that's what tortures us is the enemies within here. I know this from a personal experience. And when I can integrate the things that I don't love about myself and learn to, to bring them into who and what I am so that I show up in wholeness, they're no longer running my life. They're just part of who I am. I don't live from them. You know, and I, I can look at something out in the world. If I'm triggered by something out in the world, sure, it's going on out there, and sure, I may not approve of it, but, but the trigger is within me. It's triggering something in me. And so to look at the darkness, to go within and learn how to transform that enemy that I harbor within myself, that I'm embarrassed about, that I would have a thought like that or I would think that, you know. I mean, as we get older and more sophisticated, we, we say less and less of those embarrassing things because the, the damage control is so intense, it's not even worth bringing it up if we're wise at all. But still, you know, people come up to me throughout my journey and say things. And so a lot of times I don't respond because my response is not going to be what it wanted to be. But then I get to go home and do my own forgiveness work and unravel it within myself. That's, I just know, otherwise I, I get trapped by it. So anyway, it's going to the deepest dark where the radiance is born, which is the story of the birth of Christ. And having the courage to do that, to become the light of the world. It, the deepest dark is not where grace goes to die. It is the place where grace goes to be reborn. So if you are in the depths of darkness right now, have faith, because something within you knows, something within you, that eternal presence that is surrounding you can carry you forward. But it takes a willingness to stay the course. We want it over now. And sometimes it takes time. So let's get the, let's get the learning out of it. What wants to be shifted, transformed here? Transfer, transforming lives. So Christianity is at its best when, when they take their story to a new group of people and those people say, I don't know the story of Jesus. And the Christians reply, yes, you do because you know the story of what's happening in the earth. I'm here, I'm here to point out to you what is going on all around you, what is already unfolding here. So we look at the world, we look at the chaos, we look at the, the 1%, we look at the, the hoarding and the, the greed and the, and the wars and the accusations and the anger and frustration. That's part of why we've come here. And I don't agree with any of it. But I, I, to stand in judgment of it just traps me in it. So I want to stand in spiritual discernment and say no, 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 no. Part of the spiritual life is saying no, having discernment. You know, I used to get up on a Sunday when I first got into ministry 20 years ago, and I didn't have time to prepare a talk because I was working a full-time job. I had a clipboard. And every idea that rolled into my head that week, I wrote down on my clipboard. And then every idea I had on a clipboard, I shared that week. And it was confusing. <laughs> it was confusing for me, and it was confusing for them. 
But there was something happening in it, and I was in an environment where it was small enough where they let me make those mistakes. There was enough love there. They let me make the mistakes. They let me grow and learn. I'm still growing and learning. I'm still figuring it out. But I know now, what's, how can I best serve? How can I offer something that's simple but yet so powerfully impactful? So to know that this whole season is based on this, this whole Celtic pagan heathen tradition of the solstice because the Christians didn't need winter solstice. They had the moon. I mean, their calendar was a little wonky, but they didn't need winter solstice. They had the sun all the time. So, the day before the solstice, which would have been the 20th, the, the Celts would decorate the sacred tree in the center of the village. Do you ever wonder where this Christmas tree comes from? See that little guy right there? The Celts would decorate, but they didn't, have a, they didn't use a fir tree. They used an oak tree. And so what the Celts did, the tree was their sacred symbol. There's it, there's beautiful oak tree. But that tree was their sacred symbol because it had the roots in the ground and the branches were in heaven. And so what they would do is they would, would decorate that, that oak tree with apples and oranges and pears. Go figure, huh? Ever wondered what, the, what this, the decor, trimming the tree was all about? Well, they did it to their central tree. And the reason that they picked the oak tree is because it was sacred. Because when lightning hit it, it would start to burn. And they would take the branch and they would cut the branch off. And they all got fire to stay warm. Isn't that fascinating? So that tree, through the, the grace and the beauty of nature, was a gift to them. And the fire was so precious to them. They didn't know. They didn't know that the sun was going to come back on the 21st. They had to perform these sacred rituals to get that. They would dance around the tree. They worshipped the sacred tree, the giver of life, the giver of heat and fire. So they would celebrate on the day before the winter solstice the rebirth of the oak. So they were about the rebirth as well, the rebirth of the sun, the apples, the oranges, and the pears, and what that did. So when the Christians saw what they were doing with the tree, they go, hey, man, we do this too. It's called the garden. It's the return to the garden of Adam and Eve, the, 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 the garden of paradise, the garden of plenty. That's what your tree represents. So they kept, they kept laying over what they were already doing with, from the Christian context. So how can you argue with that? Oh, really? There's a garden of Eden? Hmm. You know, and of course, that whole story was a woman's fault because she... You know, she, she bit the apple. So there we go, yeah. Well, maybe not. Anyway, thank you, Barbie Lee. So the Christians say, here's the tree of life at the heart of the garden. But for the Celts, the tree was always their sacred symbol. You know what? Before the, the, they got up to, above the Mediterranean and started evangelizing, the Christian cross was the plus sign. And then they got up north and they, they saw what the Celts were doing with the tree and they made the centerpiece longer. That's how we end up with the cross that we have now, the Christian cross. It's not a plus sign. It's longer in the middle, and then it's got a little, you know, the horizontal is a little shorter. But that's because they were trying to duplicate and align with the sacred tree. And they would do all these various rituals, decorate it, trim the tree. So, December 24th used to be the feast of Adam and Eve in the, in the Catholic Church. About 500 years ago, they got rid of that. But it, it was inspired by the Celts tradition with, the, with the, the trimming the tree. So they made it the 24th. The 25th is the, is the birth. And all women who have given birth know the pain of birth. I, don't, I, I can't speak to it. I'm just talking about it from what I've heard. But I know it's painful. 
But what happened was then on the 26th, so where does Boxing Day come from? Because it comes from back there too. I always thought Boxing Day was just a shopping opportunity. I didn't even know about Boxing Day until I got up here. I don't, I don't even know if we were doing that in the States. But I was usually working somewhere. I didn't participate in that. But Boxing Day was born out of the need for men and boys to understand the rebirth. That's where it comes from. Because what the Celts would do is after the solstice, as part of the sacrifice, as part of the sacred ritual, they would go out and catch a wren. Someone asked me on the way out what a wren is. A wren is a small little bird. They would go out and catch the small little barn wren or, you know, the little cute little bird, and they would bring it back, and they would, they would kill it, they would sacrifice it, and then they would drain the blood into the earth to give homage to and ritual to the earth that they knew in the springtime as the sun was reborn, they could plant seeds and harvest crops so they could live. So the Christians watched this and they said, well, we don't want everybody running out and killing birds anymore. This isn't what, really what this is about. So what they did is they took the December 26th was the day after the, uh, the, the birth and they made that the Feast of St. Stephen. You kids know the Feast of St. Stephen, right? Yeah, see there, up here, they're paying attention and staying awake. Pardon me? Is there really? Oh, good. There you go. Good King went. Thank you. See? Forgot that one. But anyway, so, but Stephen was the original martyr in the Christian faith. He was the guy, I think he was shot with arrows because he would, would not renounce his devotion to Jesus of Nazareth. And so they made that the feast day, and they said to the men and the boys in the village that we're not interested in you killing a bird anymore. It's a sacrifice. What we want you to do, we're interested in the sweat of your heart, to open yourself up in compassion for other people. And so they were charged with going out and find clothing and food and wood to give to people within the community that needed help, primarily widows, shut-ins, the elderly, they couldn't get out and gather wood. They, could, they didn't have enough. And without that, they wouldn't make it through the winter. So that's the origins of Boxing Day. It's about generosity. It's about cracking your heart open, the sweat of your heart, to share. So the point in this story is the deepest dark is where radiance is born. Isn't that great to know? That when we're in the depths of the darkness, there's a radiance that is being born for us. But we must nurture it and, 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 and have the faith in that because we all go through that. Life is heartbreak. Life is disappointment. Life is, is betrayal and, and, and things don't work out the way they, they should. And yet we know there's a divine intelligence that's going to bring to us so that we can deepen and grow and partner in a deeper way with spirit. And the second part of that is what gets us there most, most effectively is to share, to share, to share. Generosity. So the direction to go when we're in our best selves is to move into the deepest darkness to discover that radiance and to turn to the practice of, of being of service to someone else. So when we walk into the deep darkness, can you go back a little bit on that one? When we walk into the deepest dark, we find the fresh radiance. The next slide is a picture of the sun. It's a picture right after the solstice where the sun starts to move again. So our call to action. We've got a lot of really wonderful things happening here. 
And our call to action here as a community, what's happening in this transforming lives is we brought the Q process here. And I'm gonna show you a video of testimonials here in a moment because I'm very touched by it. And that's our group. We had 72 people attend the Q process the first time we brought it through. Now, this is something that we're gonna continue to do. We have people interested in going through the facilitation training. We're already getting that scheduled. We're bringing in the spirit groups. This is all about this mission-centric ministry. Spirit groups, number one focus is service. I went down on the 21st to the mustard seed. I spoke about that last week. And a group of our volunteers prepared. We paid for the food as a, as a community. And then the food was prepared and they served meals to a couple hundred people. But I thought, what a, what a joy and an honor to be able to do this. It was the 21st of December, the solstice. And I thought, energetically, what a beautiful thing to do. And it was so fulfilling and so beautiful to watch for our group and for, as for them as well. And I lingered there and, and, and connected with people. It was lovely. So that's part of a picture of our group there. It's a little bit uh, fuzzy because I was up in the balcony and you know, I was taking it with my, my cell phone. But that's our group at the, you know, offering the generosity to share, share, share. And the other piece of this is the season for nonviolence that you're going to hear more about next week. We'll talk about it every week. And that's a, that is a 64-day initiative that we're launching here in Edmonton and, and becoming very, very... Uh, present with that and, and to carry that banner. And it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for us to uh, partner with the, the global New Thought community in the season for nonviolence. So we're going to be launching that at City Hall. Uh, we have received notification from Mayor Don Iveson that he is considering, and he's looking at his schedule, we'd like him to be there to sign a proclamation uh, for nonviolence for Edmonton and for the world. So it's exciting. So I want to show you this testimonial uh, because what the Q does, is, and that's our first pl place we start, the Q invites us to look at the places that we don't want to look at and integrate them into our lives. And as we integrate them and build a greater capacity to love and accept ourselves and to offer ourselves more compassion and forgiveness, we are better able to do it for one another. It's a really powerful process. So check out this, uh, it's a five-minute uh, testimonial. So let's cue that up. Is your shadow showing the cue process? Thank you, everyone, for showing up to this uh, session. We're going to be promoting the cue process program at your ministry. Our upcoming uh, encore uh, opportunity is uh, this uh, next year in February. And I appreciate everyone's uh, willingness to do this. This is really what makes these programs so um, transformational is because it's the stories that we generate for, from our experience that really inspires people to want to engage. What this process has taught me to do is yes, look at the past, but just stay really present and know that the future can be different and will be different if I just stay present. The biggest thing that I've got out of this was the uh, uh, the ability to, to realize where my triggers were and uh, to address those right out of the gate so that uh, going forward I don't have those same kind of triggers and uh, it was really awesome having my, uh, myself participate in this exercise with me. I have an aspect I have now, a tool and a understanding about myself and other people. So I, I truly am very grateful for this. I. I will promote this for anybody who wants to take this. Course. I knew I had a sense of, you know, unworthiness and not feeling loved, and I just had no idea how to fix it. I've been working, honestly, for 30 plus years at trying to find 
you know, how do I change these things that, that make me feel so inadequate and awful? Um, so thank you. Thank you. I was surprised um, that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised that um, every night, it, and it was by the end of the week, it was on a routine. Oh, it's 9.30. Okay, stop what we're doing because we're doing the queue process. And so that was nice. Yeah, I was often nice. wonder how any of us have lived this long uh, with all these triggers that we and the error beliefs that we adopt along the way in these small ways. So just very, very grateful. We, we think that we're all knowing. We think that we have everything figured out. And you know, there's those, those little things that we struggle with on a daily basis that I feel that the cute process by even lifting five pounds off our shoulders, it makes every day feel that much lighter, feel that much more enjoyable. I just found it, find this process, the Q process to be a really good tool to move past the triggers and to move more into lightness, into peace and into compassion. Just do the Q, just do it. Okay, I'll speak now. All right, Tori, thank you. <laughs> you know, I have found this um, very empowering and it really has impacted um, all aspects of my life, I have to say. Um, I feel I've developed a greater awareness of um, catching things in the moment and being able to correct um, far more quickly. I've learned a lot about um, self-care and following through on self-care and um, I just I feel like I'm stepping into my life in a more authentic way. I, I have some pain issues and uh, going through the queue really uh really reduced my pain all the way through and it's, and it's been a continuous journey on the pain, pain program for myself. So. I can actually feel some sort of a completion and let it go so much better than hanging on to it for days. Uh, through the, throughout the exercise as far as going through the queue, uh, Daniel calls me out on uh, going doing a sheet, Reverend Patrick calls me out, I call Patrick out, uh, that's, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good process. I do feel so much lighter and uh, resentment has disappeared. And I just, um, I don't know, I find it very, very helpful in relationship to just let it, to have let it go and remain present. Like, why am I telling myself that I'm not good enough? Like, why am I telling myself that, I, that, I, that, I, that I'm not loved? Do the cue, just do it, just do it. So that young man is Steve Sandy's son that, that was uh, imploring us to just do it. But the cue is a, is a really powerful tool, and it's something that, that becomes just part of a way of life. I pulled my cue book out uh, yesterday because I had to do a sheet on something. But what happens is when we deal with it in a moment, we deal with it quickly, is that one of the definitions that Dr. Gary gave me was that, uh, that what we do, in the, enlightenment means going from trigger to gratitude instantaneously. And so... When we can do that for ourselves, our energy is so much cleaner and freer. And we're not getting trapped in other people's good opinions. We're able to stand in, the, in our own integrity, and not in a sense of arrogance, but about compassion and understanding. There's a lot of people out there that are struggling. And so I just am so delighted and honored. We have stepped into an agreement with Dr. Gary Simmons. It's a, this mission-centric ministry has many, many legs to it, but the Q process and the... Uh, and the, small, the spirit groups are two of the essentials that everything else uh, runs from. We're going to do a cue process for our, our, our community to look at the history of our community and some of the stories that, that remain unhealed. 
Uh, we're gonna, we have a Q process that we're gonna do for children, for tweens, for teens. I mean, that's exciting to give these young people tools in their lives and perspective and wisdom so that they don't have to go through all of the struggles and the suffering that, that many of us have. So for me, I know it's a, it's a, it's a very, very enlivening and uh, um, beautiful opportunity, and I feel really blessed to be part of it and to be able to at least invite you. You know, if you don't accept the invitation, it's okay. But uh, I sure want, I, I want for you the freedom that I want for myself. And when you're suffering, we're all suffering. So why share our suffering with one another? We've done plenty of that. So I thank you for being part of this. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward so much to 2018 and all of the things. We've got um, some wonderful, amazing things unfolding here. Some of it's already happened within this this sanctuary is with even just the lighting and the things that we've done with presentation and, and, uh, and the programs we have. We're going to offer two different talks each Sunday, which uh, I think is going to be very, very exciting. I don't know how the minister is going to pull that off each week, but I'll let you know. And, uh, but it's exciting to be able to celebrate that. We want to share this teaching and empower people and transform lives to the best of our ability. That's why we're here. So thank you so much for a great 2017. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to continue to grow and deepen and, and be of service to something that I think is such a spectacular and beautiful honor and, and activity. So, and so it is. Blessings.